0: This information is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is offered with the understanding that the presenters are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert advice is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought. Welcome to the Real Estate Financial Planner Podcast. I am your host, James Orr. This is episode 12. Today, we're going to continue with Norm and Norma's story. But before we do that, I have some good news. The famous statistician, George Bach, said, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And that's been true with all models done by financial planning software. No model can truly account for everything, but they can still be useful for us and help us make better decisions. And even though we do some pretty sophisticated modeling with the real estate financial planner software, they're still wrong. They don't perfectly model everything. Two big examples are taxes and debts other than mortgages. But over time, we do improve the software and the modeling it does, and that's the good news. Over the last week, we've made an improvement to how we calculate debt to income for people that are renting. Before this update, we did not include the rent they were paying for their own place to live as an expense, so the DTI for renters was showing up as a little lower than it should have been. Now, it does include rent in the calculation making the model even better than it was before. So, since Norm and Norma were renting in some of the previous scenarios, their debt-to-income was lower. We've since rerun the scenarios with the update, and now their debt-to-income should be more accurate. Still not perfect, as George Box points out, all models are wrong, but still much better than it was before. Also, since debt-to-income was used to determine if Norm and Norma could buy properties or not, this new update to how we calculate debt to income might impact when they can buy rentals, which also means it could impact when they achieve financial independence. So if you're looking at previous episodes and the numbers don't match the new numbers, that's why. We will continue to make improvements to the real estate financial planner software to make our models better over time, but for now, back to Norman Norma and their obsession with achieving financial independence. In this episode, episode 12, Norm and Norma have gone through our workshop on how to improve cash flow and latched onto the possibility of doing short-term rentals instead of traditional year-long leases. If instead of focusing on buying properties that would make great long-term rentals, what if they instead decided to try to find properties that would make great short-term rentals? What if they could get more rent from their properties each month? Would that speed up how quickly they could be financially independent? And if so, by how much? And by doing a short-term rental, will the expenses of operating their rental go up? And how will that impact their net cash flow and their ability to achieve financial independence? For our modeling, we assume that by converting from a long-term rental to a short-term or vacation rental, they're able to go from averaging $2,600 per month in rent at the start to earning $650 more per month in rent, a total of $3,250 per month in rent on average we've opted not to model irregular rents throughout the year. In other words, we did not show rents that were higher based on peak short-term rental seasons in the market. Instead, we opted to use an average for the year. In the real world, depending on their market and their short-term rental strategy, they may see some months perform much, much better than other months, and so their rental income may be irregular. In addition to more rents, we've also increased the maintenance expenses from 10% of gross rents for long-term rentals to 20% of gross rents for short-term rentals. So the extra $650 per month in rent as a short-term rental is not just all extra profit. Now, as soon as I told you my assumptions, you immediately thought one or more of the following thoughts. I could do better than that with short-term rentals in my market and my marketing skills. Or... I am not getting that much extra rent. An extra $650 per month seems unreasonably optimistic or going from 10% in maintenance to 20% in maintenance is not realistic. It should be much higher or wow. I'm not paying that much more in maintenance. Why did he penalize them so much? Or what about the cost to set up the property as a short-term rental, which you totally ignore James or What about the extra risk that the HOA or city or county or whatever will disallow short-term rentals? Or any number of other comments about how my assumptions are either too good to be true or too bad to be true. And I get it. It's hard to come up with reasonable assumptions that apply to everyone, but that's why you can copy any of these scenarios for Norma Norma to your own real estate financial planner account from any episode, including this episode, and make changes to the assumptions. Don't like the $32.50 per month I use in rent? Change it. Make it more or less. Whatever is appropriate for you and your market and situation. Don't like the 20% maintenance number I use? Change it. Make it more or less. Again, whatever is appropriate for you and your market situation. For this episode, this is what I assume Norma Norma could do in their specific situation. So how does Norm and Norma buying short-term rentals impact their ability to achieve financial independence compared to them buying long-term rentals? In each of these scenarios, Norm and Norma are renting themselves and then buying rental properties. In the next episode, episode 13, we'll look at the impact of them buying an owner-occupant property and then buying short-term rentals. If Norm and Norma put 15% down to buy rental properties... They achieve financial independence almost nine years faster if they do short-term rentals. When doing long-term rentals with 15% down payments, it takes them 33.5 years. But when they do short-term rentals, it only takes them 24.67 years. So that's them putting 15% down and paying private mortgage insurance. What if they opt to put 20% down? If they put 20% down, it is 6.75 years faster for them to do short-term rentals than to do long-term rentals. It would take them 31.42 years to be financially independent with 20% down payments and long-term rentals, compared to 24.67 years with 20% down buying short-term rentals. What if they put 25% down to reduce the cost of getting the loan with fewer points, getting a better interest rate, and borrowing less? If they put 25% down, it would be five years faster to do a short-term rental over long-term rental. Regardless of down payment percentage, it is faster for them to do short-term rentals than long-term rentals. So let's talk about buying properties. When you have more income coming in from properties you own, you can buy the next property faster. That's what happens when they buy short-term rentals. They trade doing a little more work in managing the property in exchange for a little more income from the property. But why does getting more income allow you to buy the next property faster? Well, for one, you can save up down payments a little faster. And secondly, your debt-to-income is a little better. So if you were limited by debt-to-income, you will qualify for the next loan sooner and maybe with a slightly better interest rate in some situations. But what about negative cash flow well putting 15 percent down even with the higher rent of doing short-term rentals results in a small amount of deferred down payment also known as negative cash flow this is true whether they do short-term rentals or long-term rentals although it is less if they do short-term rentals if they put 20 percent down they'd have a very small amount of negative cash flow about twelve hundred dollars total for all properties across the entire 60-year modeling period and only when they did long-term rentals. We don't anticipate any negative cash flow with 20% down if they did short-term rentals. And neither of the 25% down scenarios, short-term or long-term, have negative cash flow at all. Now, true cash flow is cash flow plus any cash flow from depreciation, which are the tax benefits received from owning rental properties at their estimated tax rate. Since it includes the benefit from depreciation, it can offset some, if not all, of the negative cash flow they might experience. If we look at the cumulative negative true cash flow, that includes the tax benefits of depreciation, they only experience negative cash flow with long-term rentals putting 15% down. All the short-term rental scenarios, as well as the long-term rental scenarios with 20% and 25% down, do not have any negative true cash flow. But what about net worth? What impact does doing short-term rentals have on their overall net worth compared to doing long-term rentals? Well, doing short-term rentals results in a higher net worth. You could have easily guessed that. But how much better? Well, at the end of 60 years, the net worths for long-term rentals are all in the mid-to-high $50 million range, where for the short-term rentals, they're all in the $70 million range. But if we adjust for inflation back to today's dollars, it is a lot lower. For example, the net worths for long-term rentals are in the high $9 million to just over $10 million range. Compare that to the net worths in the mid 12 to mid-$13 million range for doing short-term rentals. So I'd call about $3 million difference on about a $10 million net worth pretty significant. But remember, it comes with the extra work of doing some additional management, which we did not end when they technically achieved financial independence. We assume they kept doing short-term rentals and doing that extra management associated with doing short-term rentals, even after they achieved financial independence. But the extra cash flow they're receiving from doing short-term rentals does mean that they could live at a higher standard of living than the expenses we did model. In fact... By the time they achieve financial independence with long-term rentals, putting 15% down, they could be living at twice the standard of living with short-term rentals, for all the down payment scenarios of the short-term rentals. But increasing their standard of living could increase their risk a little bit. For example, one measure of risk is how resilient are they to drops in rent. With short-term rentals, they're collecting higher rents. In general, that means that rents can drop more before they'd have negative cash flow. So rent resiliency is better when they do short-term rentals. Another measure of risk is debt-to-income. Now I've already talked about how getting more income from the properties by doing short-term rentals helps with their debt-to-income ratios. But having lower debt-to-income ratios is a measure that they have lower risk when you think about risk in terms of income compared to their debt obligations. Another measure of risk is to look at how much debt they have compared to their overall net worth. It is true that the extra cash flow and buying properties sooner ultimately improves their net worth, but they're buying the same properties with similar down payment amounts. That does mean that debt to net worth is probably slightly better with short-term rentals, but it is not that significant in my opinion. A similar argument can be made with total debt to account balance. Short-term rentals have less risk with this measurement, but it is not drastically different. One more discussion about risk. Let's talk about reserves. Since we've modeled short-term rentals with having 20% maintenance instead of the 10% that we've used with long-term rentals, and the rent amount we're using further amplifies this, we need more reserves for short-term rentals. I'll also throw out there that with irregular income, some months being much better than others, the case can be made that reserves are even more important a side note if we look at how much norm and norma should set aside for a single month of reserves they should be setting aside more in raw dollars for short term rentals than long term rentals now this may be counterintuitive for many folks who might argue but you have more cash flow coming in you can afford to handle issues with the extra cash flow if needed now i think you could do this if you're willing to take on that extra risk, that's up to you. End of side note and back to our discussion of reserves. Since we model the purchase of properties as requiring they have six months of reserve set aside before they can buy the next property, it means that they keep hovering around six months of reserves while acquiring properties. The number of months of reserves increases as they save up their next down payment and then drops back down to six months when they acquire their next property. However, once they're done acquiring properties, the improved cash flow from the short-term rentals and them not increasing their standard of living means that they have more months of reserves saved with short-term rentals. I'd like to pause for a moment to introduce a new concept. If you recall from previous episodes, we discussed how if you take the money you have invested in stocks or bonds or similar investments, we could multiply the amount you have invested times your safe withdrawal rate To determine how much money you can, at least in theory, safely withdraw each year without running out of money. Well, what if we turn that equation around and used it with rental properties instead? For example, we know how much cash flow the rental properties are producing, and we know what norm and Norma's safe withdrawal rate is that we've already used using the stock market investments they have. What if we took the cash flow from the rental properties and divided it by the safe withdrawal rate? We could come up with a number that represents how much money they would have needed to have invested in the stock market or other similar investments to produce that same amount of cash flow from the rentals. It gives us an idea of what the rental properties are worth to us if they were money invested in stocks instead. When I do this calculation, I don't use just plain old cash flow. I tend to use cash flow and the tax benefits, what we call cash flow from depreciation. When we combine cash flow and cash flow from depreciation, we call that true cash flow. So, for the calculation to determine what the rental properties are worth if they were invested in stocks, I'd take true cash flow and divide it by the monthly safe withdrawal rate to come up with a value for what the rental properties would be worth if they were invested in an investment that generated the same amount of cash flow. I call this calculation the very literal total true cash flow divided by monthly safe withdrawal rate. So nothing fancy. I bring this up in this episode because when Norman Norma gets significantly extra true cash flow with short-term rentals over long-term rentals, the value of those rentals, when you think of it like what you need to have invested in stocks with a safe withdrawal rate, is much better. All right, let's talk about equity. If you recall earlier in this episode, I mentioned that Norm and Norma are able to purchase properties faster when they do short-term rentals. That also means that by owning the property sooner and for longer, they tend to have better equity in the properties when they do short-term rentals. Of course, once the properties are paid off, they have the same amount of equity since we're assuming they're essentially the same properties. So in conclusion, renting themselves and buying 10 short-term rentals adds some extra work what it does, speed up their ability to achieve financial independence, improves cash flow and net worth, allows a higher standard of living, and reduces risk in many measures of risk that we considered. So this seems like a viable option for them to consider as they evaluate which is the optimal path for them to achieve financial independence. But they were getting attached to the idea of buying a home to live in. What is the impact of buying a home to live in then buying 10 short term rentals on their journey toward financial independence. We'll discuss that in the next episode. Also, be sure to check out the Advanced Real Estate Financial Planner podcast to see how having variable property appreciation rates and rent appreciation rates, variable mortgage interest rates, variable inflation rate, and variable stock market rates of return impacts Norman Norma as they buy short term rentals. I hope you've enjoyed this episode about Norman Norma. Norma. This has been James Orr with the Real Estate Financial Planner podcast. Bye-bye for now. Oh, I almost forgot. You can download the newest version of the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet for free. Just go to realestatefinancialplanner.com forward slash spreadsheet to download it right now. It's amazing. Bye-bye for now.